You see, friend, before Jesus was revealed as the Son of Man, he was first manifested to Daniel as the man in linen. The man in linen becomes the Son of Man in time. The description of Jesus in Daniel 10, 4 to 5 is a deliberate and symbolic expression of who he is and what he would become for us in the future. Prophetic symbols merge to describe him. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Today, Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message is entitled, The Man in Linen. That's the man in linen, and we will bring you the first portion of this broadcast here today. And, of course, we'll conclude it when we get together again. Don't forget, it's always available without interruption at reachingyourheart.com. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father, we live in a world in which we are all alone without Jesus. Father, we live in a world that's defiant of your authority, defies the church, defies the Bible, We live in a place where self-will substitutes itself for the submissive attitude of the Spirit. And so, Lord, in this place, we ask for the Holy Spirit. We ask for the church to be blessed and protected. We ask for angels to surround us. And, Lord, I just thank you today that Jesus Christ has always been and always will be our guardian and protector. May we feel it deeply in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a world in which we are haunted by the great river of the ancient waters that floods our lives and rush on through them to the end of days. That's a fact. Hurricane Florence has just reminded us how powerful the flood can be in a person's life. Every mother wants to see her baby grow up and outlive her maternal love for the child. To have a child is a mother's dream. To have a future is a mother's passion. To grow old as a child grows old, to know that a mother's love is there as a mother's strength and legacy for her child. How many mothers do we have in church today? How many mothers do we have? Very good. Thank you. I'm glad you're here today. You know, a mother has a way of taking care of the children in such a way that we are tack on right if mom is there, correct? And so I want to just praise God for the mothers here today. Hurricane Florence, when it hit, a mother made national news. Her name was Dazia Lee, and her 14-month-old son was named Caden. Dazia Lee made national news as she struggled to save the life of her little boy. You could see a mother's love in play, struggling against the storm, the floodwaters. She was driving through a police barricade that was deliberately put in place because of the raging waters that had followed Hurricane Florence. The historic floodwaters hit the south, and it changed many lives forever. In fact, my son, Donald, was at Fort Jackson when they relocated elements of the fort because it came, and he fled, and others as well. How many of you have relatives that were in the pathway of Hurricane Florence? few of you? Of course, the first feeling was, are they okay? Did the floodwaters hit them? Did a tree fall in their house? Or this kind of thing. So historic floodwaters hit the south, and it changed many lives forever. The police cars were positioned to save those people, but in this case, they weren't exactly blocking the road. And so this well-meaning mother, on her way to see her grandmother, went through the barricade. And as she went through the barricade, 
She didn't realize that she was moving into the danger zone. You see, in the rush of things, the water was coming in. She was moving east. The water was coming toward her. And it didn't take long before that flood overtook her car, swept it against a bank of trees, a phalanx of trees. She was pinned against the trees. Her child was in the car. And the panic that is natural in a mother's heart began to happen. Her heart was beating aggressively. She struggled to get that child out of the car, and she got herself out of the car. She seized her son with the grip that she had, a mother's love, and she started moving through the floodwaters to safety, hanging on to her little boy. She gripped him tight until she had to let go. She would say this, I was holding his hand, trying to hold him, trying to pull him up, And it got to a point I couldn't hold on anymore. And notice her words. She says, and he let go. She couldn't admit in her grief that she had to let go because she had no more strength. She said, he let go. How many times in life has someone we love let go? And the great river claimed them just like that. And we discover later on that we let them go. Or at least we feel like we let them go. And they were swept away and we could not save them. Have you ever felt that way? You have a family member that you've worked for in your life and you couldn't save them? I struggled for two years. Many of you don't realize this. For two years to save the life of my brother. He was involved in opioid addiction because he had received a surgery. And that surgery had led to the addiction. And then it just changed our lives. I remember going to his house and... Tennessee and seeing a transformed human being. I had no idea my brother had departed in such a rapid fashion. And when I saw him descend like that, I said, whatever's happening here at Reaching Hearts, what's ever happening anywhere else, I've got to focus on my brother. I made multiple trips down there, was able to get him in rehab, paid for the rehab, and engaged other family members. We became a family circle trying to save my brother. And I remember getting distracted here for two weeks You know, fires can happen in the church that takes a pastor away from doing pastoring. It was in those two weeks my brother committed suicide. And I felt like I had let him go. Have you ever felt that way? Now, my family encouraged me, Mike, you didn't let him down. You did your best. But when you know you could have done better, you always ask the question, was my grip strong enough? And I felt like I had let him go. You see, we live in the great river. We're moving through time, and we feel the torrent and the tide of the oppressive winds around us. And there are times we feel we let God down, we let others down. We live on the human plane. We all fight against the waters. Little Hayden was swept away by the flood of the great river and became for him and his mother the end of days. Norman McLean, his famous novel, A River Runs Through It, describes in his semi-autobiography the personal struggle of his troubled life as an extension of the ancient flood that haunts us all till the end of days. I want to share an excerpt from this magnificent piece of prose. He writes, Eventually all things merge into one, and a river runs through it. The river was cut by the world's great flood and runs over rocks from the basement of time. On some of the rocks are timeless raindrops. Under the rocks are the words, and some of the words are theirs. I am haunted by waters. Friends, we live in a world in which the waters of the great river haunt us every one at times, in which we feel the force of the flood, and we cannot escape it on our own. Every part of our struggle for life is a part of the great river that flows to the end of days. The great river flows before us, it goes through us, and beyond us to the end of days. 
In the book of Daniel, prophecy is more than the tale of beasts and empires and epics. Some people say, well, you know, prophecy is only about world empires, timelines, mark of the beast kind of stuff. No, it's not. Prophecy is talking about your life and my life as we're moving in the great river, moving to the end of days. And the question is salient, where is God for me as I'm in the river? Where is God for my family as we are in the river? Friend, in the book of Daniel, there's a flood that flows through time, and the waters flow through our time, and we find ourselves in the raging stream, and we ask the question, where is God right now for me? People are like water, and many people are like a river that floods and overflows, and so the river flows through the ages. And in a sense, we are all haunted by waters. In the Hebrew language, the end of days is a wordplay on the end that comes when the great river flows into the sea at the end of time when the dead will be resurrected to meet God in the judgment day. You know, whether you like to admit or not, everyone here, all of us have a collision course with the last days. We have a collision course with the fact that we will stand before the God of the universe and no excuse that is made here on earth will suffice before the one who has all the answers. He knows us like an open book. He knows our struggles. He knows who we are. And friend, the bottom line is the God who loves us will have a reckoning in our lives at the end of days. And so how do we stand before him? How do we interact with the struggle that we have? Now, in the Hebrew of Daniel, the word for sea is the word yom, Y-A-M. And the word for day is the word yom, Y-O-M. It's a wordplay. It's a homophonous wordplay. And so the end of days... The yom, the yomim, is homophonous to the idea of the great sea and the plural yamin. Yomim, yamin. And so we're all moving in our days toward the great sea at the end of time, in which time itself will be no more. Look at Daniel 11.45. And he, the king of the north, which is the final oppressor, the final pharaoh at the end of days, shall pitch his royal tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. And so the oppressor comes to his end as he approaches the great sea. Now look at Daniel twelve thirteen. But go your way to the end, and you shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place where? What does it say? At the end of the days. And so the king of the north comes to the sea, Yamin. And so Daniel comes to the end of days, Yomim. In Daniel 11.45, the king of the north comes to his end between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Daniel comes to his end to be rewarded. And so the Yamim proceeds in Daniel 11.45 and Yamin for days. And Daniel 12.13 is the homophonous wordplay that illustrates the fact that all our days flow like a great river to the end of days as they gather into one sea of human beings at the end of time. So we're moving toward a great sea. And so we will all stand before the judgment bar of God, and we will all stand before God. And that's a sobering thought. You know, sometimes we think the things we do don't matter. They do. The actions of our lives are salient to the future reckoning that we have with God. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Daniel 10, verse 1, where Daniel stood at the bank of the great river, a flooding kind of river, like the one that we have seen in recent past. Daniel 10, 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. The word was true. And what does it say next? It was a great conflict. In fact, the Hebrew will say a great army, great host, like a great controversy. In other words, there's a battle between good and evil going on. There are unseen forces out there, and they're at odds with each other. And Daniel is standing here. He's dealt with that. And he goes on to say, and he, that is Daniel, understood the word... 
and had understanding of the vision. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm living the last days. I want to understand prophecy. You know why? I want to be ready for the coming of the Lord. I mean, this notion that prophetic truth is irrelevant to our growth in Christ is a deception that will suck you in to end-time failure and ruin. God wants us to be interacting with the prophetic word. And so Daniel understood it. He labored over it. He prayed over it. And he became a vehicle for sharing God in his day because he studied it. Daniel had spent 70 years in captivity. His life had come full circle at last with the beginning of the Persian Empire and the end of the Babylonian Empire. He had been taken prisoner as a boy. He was robbed of his manhood. He was forced to be a eunuch in the king's court. And he saw the fall of one king after another until finally Babylon fell as a kingdom. And the year Babylon fell, Daniel jettisoned his Babylonian name Belteshazzar for his Hebrew name Daniel. You know, when you read the storyline, it's very clear. He's called Belteshazzar until he's free. And as soon as he's free, he's called Daniel again. Belteshazzar means the God Bel protects the king. Daniel in Hebrew means God is my judge or God is my vindicator. Nebuchadnezzar gave him that new name, Belteshazzar, to brainwash him, to force his allegiance to shift to a pagan god. And as soon as Daniel is free, he goes back to his name that means God is my vindicator. Daniel changed his name. There is no essential difference, in fact, when you read the book of Daniel, between the Hebrew name Belshazzar. Who was Belshazzar? Who was he? He was the last king of Babylon, right? And who was Belteshazzar in the book of Daniel? Do you remember? That's the name that Nebuchadnezzar gave Daniel. Well, in the Hebrew language, they're indistinguishable. They mean the same thing. Pastor Michael Oxentenka will continue in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-supported program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Or you can stop by our website, reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Let's get back to the broadcast now. Here is Pastor Michael Tanka with more of today's Reaching Your Heart. And who was Belteshazzar in the book of Daniel? Do you remember? That's the name that Nebuchadnezzar gave Daniel. Well, in the Hebrew language, they're indistinguishable. They mean the same thing. The last night of Babylon, when Belteshazzar, who is Daniel, meets Belshazzar, the two names collide. And so when King Belshazzar died in that drunken feast when Darius the Mede overtook his kingdom, Daniel said, I'm done with that name. I don't want anything that sounds like Belshazzar, Belteshazzar. And so he goes back to his name, Daniel. Verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for three full weeks. Verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. Now the Hebrew says literally he was standing at the hand of the great river. The word play for hand and power is here intentional. In the Hebrew tongue, if you want a word for power, you will use the word hand. 
And so why would this word be used here? You see, the great river represents the force and power of chaos in our lives. When that river flows through, you cannot control the force of a river. And Daniel is standing there at the power hand of the great river. We all stand on the bank of such a river. Now in Daniel 10, 4-5, we have a picture of the preexistent Christ who showed up as the man in linen to help Daniel at the hand of the great river. Now, have you ever heard someone say, Pastor Mike, I don't really want to focus on prophecy too much in my life because I want to focus on Jesus. You ever hear someone say that? You ever hear that? Raise your hand if you ever heard that. Now, what are they really saying when they say that? They're saying is, I don't believe the prophecies have Jesus in them, right? Which tells me they don't read the prophecies because the prophecies are the testimony of Jesus according to Jesus himself. So if we want the testimony of Jesus, we better be reading the prophecies because they point to Jesus. We are living in a time in which the modern Christian experience has persuaded itself that we do not need the clear word of prophetic instruction to guide us in the last days. Friend, I need Jesus, therefore I need his prophetic word. We have right here in Daniel 10, Jesus Christ plastered into the middle of this chapter as the hero of the book of Daniel. Look at verse 5. He says, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, what does it say? A man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with the gold of Euphaz. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the noise of a multitude. Do you realize that you are looking at a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ our Savior right here in the book of Daniel? You should not glide over this quickly. Now look at Revelation 1, 12 to 15. This very picture we see in Daniel 10 is used to describe Christ as he appeared to John on the island of Patmos. We must look at them together, cross-match the text. Verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. Revelation 1.12 And on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. And notice the word one there. That will be relevant here in Daniel as well. Clothed with a long robe, with a golden girdle around his breast, his head... And his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of what? That's the picture of Jesus in Revelation 1. You go back to Daniel 10, it's the same picture. Christ is the man in linen in Daniel 10. It would be manipulating the scripture to get anything out of that other than this. So you can't miss it here. The man in linen is the son of man. You see, friend, before Jesus was revealed as the Son of Man, he was first manifested to Daniel as the man in linen. The man in linen becomes the Son of Man in time. The description of Jesus in Daniel 10, 4-5 is a deliberate and symbolic expression of who he is and what he would become for us in the future. Prophetic symbols merge to describe him. In Daniel 10.5, the Hebrew literally says, Behold, one man in linen. Some Bibles will say a certain man in linen. The Hebrew uses the word achad, one, one man in linen. What does that mean? It means Jesus, friend, is not a man in our lives, not a man. Jesus is never a man. He is what? He is the man in linen. Jesus is not just one person among many great men in history. Friend, Jesus is not just an influence who is meant to help us think our great thoughts and come up with our stupendous theology. Jesus is the one man in linen. There is no one like Jesus because Christ is Lord. Did you hear me? Christ is Lord. 
This is an echo of the great commandment given to Moses by God in Deuteronomy 6, 4-5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Adonai Echad, one. And you shall love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? With all your heart. With how much of your soul? With all your soul. With how much of your might? You see, you are to be one in your devotion to God because God is one. And there was one man dressed in linen standing there before Daniel. An echo of the great Shema, the great commandment that we are to love God with our whole being. This was the man in linen who loves God. Why is he dressed in linen? Because he is pure and righteous. Because he has undivided love and loyalty for God. When you love God because God is one in your life, you walk in white with God. You receive a white robe of righteousness that is not of human devising. It's a gift for you. In Revelation 19.8, it describes the marriage supper of the Lamb and how the saints of God receive white robes as a gift because they have come to Christ. They've surrendered to Him. They receive the righteous deeds of the saints as a robe, as a gift from Christ. In Zechariah 3, the high priest with filthy garments stands before the temple. Can't get in. We've had filthy garments before. My wife washes my clothes fine every week. In fact, she has a pile of clothes. She says, I don't want you washing your clothes. Did you know that? She says, don't you touch those clothes. You don't know how to mix the colors. For me, it's kind of simple how to wash clothes, you know. I get the darks and I put them with the whites in one pile. And then the colors go in the same pile. I don't have to sort my clothes. That's how I did it for years before I married my wife. You're looking at me. You don't believe me. It's true. And I'd put a little bleach. And you know, over time, everything looked kind of like the same thing, you know? The red and the blue merges in with the white and so on. And I don't care. People don't see my T-shirts. They're underneath my shirt anyway. My dress shirts, well, that's different. I'd probably dry clean those if I'm intelligent. But Diana's very picky. You've got to wash them right. You've got to use the right bleach. You've got to use the right detergent. And you've got to keep the colors so that your whites are white. And there's no fooling around with this. Friend, Jesus doesn't want you having a robe that is stained. You hear me? He doesn't want a robe that is sullied. He says to the church of Sardis, you have a few in you who have not sullied your garments. They will walk in white. We are to walk in white. But you know, we look at our lives, we see the imperfections of our lives. We realize we've messed up. And what do we have to do? We have to humble up and come to Christ and recognize Him as Lord in our life and obey. But we can't do it on our own. We must receive the gift. So in repentance we come to Him. What I find amazing about the apostolic gospel, which is important to me in my personal life, is that Jesus Christ applies His perfection to my life at the moment I fall on my knees and call Him Lord. You hear me? The cleanness I need is applied in my life when I seek Him on my knees for grace. I find it at the beginning of the journey, not the end. And thus He is with me on the way. We don't deserve to walk in white with linen unless Jesus puts a robe of white on us that is not of human devising. And so the man in linen is the one man who is righteous and who can make us all clean. He's the one man in linen, the Hebrew text says. The man in linen in Daniel 10.5 is clothed with the gold of Euphes. This is the clothing of the high priest who served the people of God. In 1 Peter 1.7, Peter tells us gold represents faith tried by fire. Character comes when we hang on to God with faith tried by fire as we grow in Christ. 
1 Peter 1, 7. Look at this verse. Amazing verse. So that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than what? What does it say? Gold, which though perishable is tested how? By fire, may redound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith that hangs in there is the gold God wants in our life. So the man in linen has the gold of faith and the essential character we all need. Now, we hear a lot about character perfection in our church as of late. I am all for that if it's in Jesus. I could care less for it if it's outside of Jesus. I don't want someone to come to me and offer me a kind of perfection that is not centered in a love relationship with Jesus Christ. But I do want victory and to overcome in Jesus' name. You hear me? So the Laodicean church, which is the final church age in the book of Revelation, lacks the gold. It lacks the faith refined by testing and fire. The only way to get that is to come to Christ. Christ gives us that purity in our lives. By faith, Jesus' friend lived a perfect life, period. By faith, Jesus went to the cross as our substitute, period. Join us again next time when we get together for the conclusion to The Man in Linen. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe in prayer. We believe in the God who answers our prayers and meets our needs. Each week, we are standing by to receive your prayer requests and seek God with you. His word declares, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Call our prayer line today with your requests and our team will join you in seeking that the God of heaven will meet each one of your needs. Our telephone number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. If you would like to listen to this message again, it is available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, reachingyourheart.com. There are many messages available along with this broadcast as well. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we want you to know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart.